Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Strange Crew Podcast. I am Evan Money, and this is part two of the interview with the world's greatest man, Teddyus. Dad, welcome back. Welcome back. How you doing? I'm good to be back. I'm doing good. It's great to have you back. Uh, continue on from where we left off. So, uh, for those of you guys that haven't listened to the first portion of the interview go check it out it's a good one it's a good listen um and uh i think it's uh it's gonna get a little bit more probably a little bit more interesting now that we're uh making our way to the uh the actual uh concert to the actual fun part of the uh the journey so uh so where we left off was uh you guys were headed up to Woodstock, and uh, you guys had just gotten out of the car and started uh, heading over to the uh, actual site of the festival. Or, I guess, would you call it a festival, or would you call it a, a concert? It was it was more of, of a festival. It was a three day festival, three days of love and peace and music. That's what that's what we called it. That's how they advertised it. It was three days of love, peace, and music. We were. Uh, you know, uh, we just got through. Our fathers fought World War Two, and uh, and right as soon as we got out of World War Two, we we went into into Korea, and so and as soon as we got out of Korea, uh, within a few, even in nineteen fifty five, we started fighting in Vietnam, and we were kind of just wanted to. We said. Why do we hate anybody? Why are we always killing people? You know, you know, if you wanted something to do, we you wanted to love people and you wanted to be at peace. We were tired of this fighting. And and, and uh, the the hard part about it is why it was peace, love and and, and music is because music art this music that we were listening to at that time was our music. It was something that musicians of our age was creating and it was the first time we were expressing ourselves and not doing the norm everybody if you look before everybody dressed like their dad when, <laughs> when they turned 16 17 they looked just like their dad you know the the, the nice slacks and the button-up shirt and and haircuts that you could you know just like you know good haircuts we we wore bell bottom jeans, ripped and torn. I know kids wear them now, and uh, but ours were just bell bottoms, and uh, we ran around. Didn't think some of us, some of the people, just didn't wear underwear. Some of them didn't wear shirts. We didn't like to shave. We didn't want to shave. We didn't want to cut our hair. Um, we were just different. We we just wanted to. We were tired of doing the same old thing and expecting people to, for us to do the same old thing. Uh, we want to find some pr- way of happiness and some pr- way of showing and telling people, hey, we love you. We don't want to fight. We don't want to, we, we don't want to kill people. We don't want to hurt anybody. We just want to love each other. And I think this Woodstock Festival was the first one to really get us to the point where we could feel that we could really share. And there's never been another festival like it. And uh, you, I mean, you, you can go to a concert now, but for $23, there was three days of solid music and camaraderie and meeting people that were that thought the way you did, dressed like you did, and that. And... Uh, Getting into this, you'll you'll see that for the first time, our parents were thinking, or the or the establishment was thinking, they'll never make it. This thing was going to be a total fiasco. It's going to be something that that will never, never, you know, they'll there'll, there'll be a lot of we'll have to pick up dead bodies. You know what? It didn't happen that way, but uh, you know we were. We got out of a car and we started walking. And like I said, I bought we bought our tickets online and uh, not online, but we bought them through the mail. We sent our money in, 
and uh, we started going. We had these tickets, three days of music, uh, you know, and just to, to give you an idea what it was, $23 uh, to go see Santana nowadays. Uh, he's coming to, to concert here and uh, to see Santana now, you have to pay 200 and. 50 bucks just to go see him now. We were going to see him, plus Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holden Company, uh, Country Joe and the Fish, The Who, uh, just Joni Mitchell. I mean, you know, I mean, all these people you were we were going to see. I mean, Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, great musicians at the time. And for $23... Yeah, twenty three bucks was was maybe half a week's wages back in those days, but hey, it was well worth it. So we started walking. I, I, let me get back to where we were walking, and we decided, you know, let's let's leave our car. It's nobody's going to take it. Nobody's going to do anything. You know, you know, we we trusted everybody, and this and that, and we started walking because it was getting the cars weren't moving. So people wanted to get there. It was getting close to the time the festival was supposed to start. And so we just started walking. And uh, we could, we just took what we could carry. Now, being a little naive and a little, a little trusting, we knew the promoters would have food or drink and other stuff. So, But also, we were we were trusting that other people would take care of us. And uh, because, you know, you couldn't carry a tent. I mean, we were walking, I'd say maybe eight miles, nine miles. And uh, you didn't want to carry a tent or nothing. You just carried what you could in a, in a couple bags or a couple, you know, sacks or, or back what you would consider a backpack. You know, it just carried what you could carry and took enough water and uh, or whatever you wanted to do. Uh, and, of course, whatever we could smoke or ingest that was uh, uh, to enjoy ourselves was more important than food at the time. So we, we carried what we wanted to. And so, you know, and it was and it was not like. A small, th you know, throw. It was like, like a, a really good crowd of people, you know. And we were singing and dancing, and you know, when you got tired, you stop and you sat down, and you just in the middle of the road or the middle of the field. No cars could get through. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as soon as we got to, got closer and closer to the gate, and you know. And there was a lot of people there, and what was the big holdup was, a lot of people were waiting to buy their tickets and somehow the promoters they they didn't plan on this to be this big they didn't know they thought they were going to have maybe 50,000 people 60 and they really didn't didn't have it all planned out and had the gate they had fence fences put up but these were little temporary fences in the middle of a field. And uh, there was a lot of people there without tickets. So, you know, there were, and there was no hardly very little security there. I mean, you know, I mean, you couldn't, you know, it was friends of the promoters that were security. So, you know, they had friends come up and say, hey, can I come in? And they said, yeah, climb over the fence. And next thing you know, you just start seeing people just pushing on the fence, just wiggling it back and forth, and eventually it fell down. And uh, I kind of, you know, of course, paying for my ticket, and the three or four of us paid for our tickets, we looked at this and go, wait a minute, these guys are getting in for nothing, but we paid. But, uh, you know, you you got a little angry, you got angry or a little, oh, man, why should I do that? But, you know, we said, oh, it's okay. I said, just hold on to your ticket, man. Because <laughs> if somebody comes and asks you for, if it, do we, did we had a ticket for this thing, you can at least show them that you bought a ticket. 
because I, you know, it could go that way. So, but these people were pushing, and uh, and they kept pushing on the t thing. And there's so many breaches in the tent. There's in the in the fence that it it just the promoters, you know, uh, came on and just said, "Hey, listen, over the PA system." Uh, somehow this is getting way out of hand and we got so many people, more people than we thought. And there's people still coming and they're still coming. And we're going to take a bath on this thing, but we're going to go ahead and do the three days of peace, music, and love. And uh, so when we heard that, there was a, a loud roar. And then the fences all came down. Everybody pushed against the fence. And we all started going in into this vast feel and there was a stage and a couple high towers where they ran the sound system <coughs> and speakers <coughs> and we just kind of pushed our way in and it was still you know like five six hours even longer than that I think it was like eight eight or nine hours before the thing was even supposed to start. And uh, so everybody was kind of picking out their little spot of where they wanted to sit and all that. And and you just kind of, you just kind of, and so you're sitting there and talking to all these other people and people were, you know, experimenting with a few other things. And of course, the, the smell of pot was everywhere. I mean, you could, you could, you could get stoned just walking. <laughs> There was so much <laughs> pot and that being smoked. And, uh, you know, but there was no, what what we call, no, there was no pigs. There was no cops. There was, I mean, no highway patrol, no sheriff department, no cops. It was security guys from these, the promoters hired, and they would just walk around and just tell everybody, to be cool, be quiet, you know, and take it easy. Don't get in. If somebody got hurt, they set up this and that. And the crowd just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And and the thing that really amazes me is that, I mean, I never saw anybody. I never met so many people that I didn't know that just said, hey, you hungry? You need something? You know? And we're sharing, we were sharing stuff, you know, we were sharing, you know, somebody, if I had a candy bar and they didn't have anything, we just, you know, hey, you want a candy, you want a candy bar? And, they, you know, you share whatever you had and you try to get along. And, of course, we still thought, hey, I got 30 bucks and, you know, I'll be able to buy a couple of hamburgers or get a couple of glasses of Coke or, or uh, you know, or drink something or water or you know, this and that, and it just kept waiting. Well, the, you know, it just, it was one of those things that you just can't believe that's happening. But the nice thing that I remember was, for the first time, this is, I, in my life, I saw whites, blacks, Hispanic, Orientals, and none of us hated each anybody. There was no difference between us at all. We were all there to enjoy the music and to feel like we became one family, which we which we really are. And uh, it was the greatest experience I ever had. Those those times, and I think that environment created what was Woodstock. Uh, there was um, just waiting for that eight hours. Well, the eight hours turned into 12, <laughs> turned into 14. And, and it was, and it's, it was like, what, five, six years later, or yeah, when they made the movie that they came out and said they had trouble getting the bands that were scheduled to play to get him to the to the Yaskers farm. 
that was the problem because there, all the roads were blocked with cars and people walking to this thing. And so they couldn't get them in the car. So the promoters had to kind of call up somebody and hired helicopters to fly the equipment of the bands and the bands coming in. So we started seeing these helicopters coming in. What the heck's going on? We thought it was the military. Oh, <laughs> shoot, they're going to take us to Vietnam. <laughs> they're going to take a bunch of us into Vietnam. No. The, all these helicopters started flying in, and we didn't know what the hell was going on. And then they had kind of announced, hey, listen. And they said, we're having trouble getting the guy, the bands here. So we're going to get, we don't leave. We're going to, we, we'll have the music start. We'll have the music start soon. And, uh, you know, and uh, so, but all this time, everybody was cool. Every, we were talking, laughing, joking, drinking, whatever we had, or eating and sharing time, smoking a lot of stuff, just meeting new people. I met people from everywhere, you name it, you know. You know, from being from Kansas, you never expect to meet a, somebody from Jersey, Philadelphia, New York, Florida, you know. You don't, you, you don't see anybody from the East Coast. You never thought you would meet anybody from the East Coast. It's not like nowadays where people have social media and the internet to be able to you yeah know, you i feel mean like a guy on the california you know him because you can watch yeah you on. know back back in those days when you sat down and you talked to somebody somebody you know when you're looking to face to face you know instead of on their time uh, i you know you could you could tell somebody hey listen i'm really scared about this or i'm you know this is what really bothers me and and how do you feel about this and when you're looking at somebody and talking to them you you can find out that you're uh, that what they really fear i mean because if you, you could sit there nowadays everybody's online trying to impress everybody back in those days we weren't trying to impress anybody we were just trying to tell everybody hey i this is what i feel and this is and what do you feel and we were able to sit, tell each other how we felt and what we shared. We shared more stuff. We were more intimate than than most husbands and wives are now with each other. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about it was, and this is a, somebody that you probably would never see again. Uh, but, you know, you, you spend all the, you spend your time getting to know these people and loving them. And, and the thing about it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, so, like I said, we waited 14 hours, and then they they brought out Richie uh, Richie Havens, and he he was a folk singer with a guitar, and him and a and a guy on the conga came out and they started playing the music just to kill it, just to 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 start the show. And that poor guy was on that stage. I gotta admit, he was on that stage maybe two, two and a half hours because they couldn't get anybody out. From what we understand, they couldn't get anybody else in. But, he, you know, nobody ever complained or, or lied. You know, the, the promoter says, we're doing the best we can, you know, over the loudspeakers. And we just, you know, we were patient. We were waiting. Didn't blame anybody. We were enjoying ourselves. I, you know, meeting people, seeing each other, um, you know, just... You know, you know, fall in love with 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 people that you did that you didn't know. I mean, you and realizing that that you weren't alone in the way you feel, or how we were scared of of uh, the war, or what was going to happen, what was going to happen to us, and all of that. I mean, uh, there was more intimacy and more more peace and love that I ever seen in my life. And um, we thought, yeah. And we still, I, even to this day, as, as, as old as we are, we still think that we were probably the generation that started a lot of stuff. Music, the, uh, you know, the drugs, 
the uh, changing of of um, being infiltrating and getting along better with racists. Now you got to understand, I grew up in in a small town, not a small town, but a, a good sized town in Kansas, where you know the blacks lived in one area, the whites lived in another area, Mexicans lived in another area. And as long as we stayed on our little communities, we were happy. We didn't we didn't fight against each other. We just didn't. We selectively said, "I don't want to be with the white people. I don't want to be with that." Uh, yeah, you know? and yeah, you know, and but we, you know what? I think when we, you know, we try to mix it up so fast or force it on everybody, I think that's where a lot of the stuff is happening. Why we don't. Why we have a lot of the problems, you know. We were happy. I was happy to be in a met in a neighborhood where I could go for, for six square miles and not see a white family, <laughs> or a white person, <laughs> and you know. Uh, but but it, you know because everybody I knew was Hispanic, and you know, and everybody was the same, but. It wasn't, to me, I didn't feel like I was being segregated or anything like that. I just knew that this, this was my comfort zone, and that's where I stayed. It's, uh, but t- for the first time to get out of there and to meet all these other people and realizing they were just like me, it was was the most eye-opening thing that I ever seen, you know. Now... You know, when I I was growing up, I dated, tried to date a couple of white girls from high school, and one of them, their parents didn't accepted me and said didn't say anything. One family, one girl that I was talking to and trying and asked her out for a date, her dad told me he'd shoot me if he caught me on her porch. So, <laughs> so I guess you know, but it. Did it scare me? Did it make me angry or nothing? No, I just oh, okay, that's fine, you know. But it, it's it's but to actually first time to meet all these people and see them and to get to know them intimately and find out they like the same stuff that I did. They like the same kind of music. They were doing the same kind of stuff that I was doing. They were they were just like me. No big difference, no no big difference, and uh, so you know it was great. The hard part about it, the thing about it was, when the music did start, and Jimmy, when Richie Havens was out there, it was just amazing. It was it, it just started. We all kept quiet and we just sat and we listened and we and this and that, and just enjoyed it. Never complaining about when's the who going to be on. When's Crosby, Stills, Nash going to be on. When's you know, Sly so, and Stone. You you almost said his name. Obviously, Hendrix was there. Yeah, Jimmy and, Hendrix was there, and has one of like the most iconic you know Star Spangled Banners uh, of all time. He was supposed to be the headliner and the last act that came on, you know, and uh, you you you. You just, you know, you got to understand there was a lot of stuff. And, and they were just getting people in there. I mean, they, they I don't know if they had a schedule or not, but they, it sure seemed like we went from one extreme to the another. And I think it's because logistically they could not get the groups in there the way they did. Now, uh, the show was supposed to be from like, three o'clock in the afternoon till midnight and groups did encores and stuff like that and did that did what they wanted to do they didn't have set sets and stuff like that some groups did five songs some groups did 20 songs and and some groups wouldn't you know some groups you know would stay out there for four hours you know just doing doing music and jamming and stuff like that so music would, you know, it was supposed to be like from like 
four in the afternoon to midnight, and then they would shut down for the next day and that. Well, you know, there was no place for us to go. So, but four to midnight, you know, you're out here in the field. You're not going to leave this field, you know. And they were trying to set up tent, tent, you know, tent, you know, camping sites for everybody, but that never came through. So we just started sleeping where we were watching the music. We just fall asleep there. And that. And the thing about it was, nobody messed with you. Nobody, you know, nobody kind of tried to, you know. I mean, nobody tried to rape anybody. Nobody tried to molest anybody. Nobody stole from anybody. I mean, and and everywhere you look, all you saw was people. All you just saw was people, kids, people. And it was just, we were just doing everything we could to have fun. And, and it, you know, the whole thing is, it's like, how many times uh, that I, different people that we see, that and we talked to and met. Sorry, folks. A, Xerxes is getting on one. That's how it goes here, though. You guys already know that. Yeah, <laughs> but you know we, we we just it was amazing. I mean, it was just just one of the weirdest things you ever did. I mean, there was no inhibitions. I mean, it got too hot. We took our. We took our shirt, t-shirts off. If it got, you know, we got wet, we, you know, we try to hide underneath each other, or just didn't even care. Matter of fact, the rain it, when it, when it did rain, it was a welcoming change because it was like we're getting a shower. And you know, uh, but I was going to ask about that. So I, I know, like, the rain obviously became like a an iconic. Uh, there was obviously the whole thing was iconic anyway, but you guys in the moment didn't realize that. But I, I know that the when the rain came on, um, from what you had mentioned, the movie that they had made about Woodstock and even all the retellings of Woodstock, everybody seemed relieved. And it, it's kind of, as you're going on and on, it's, uh, I can see you're like, almost kind of like the, uh, the astonishment looking back at it now of like, man, all the things that people would complain about today at a concert, you guys just didn't care about. <laughs> no, no, we, we didn't care about anything. We, we, you know, the thing about it was we were, we, we just, we wanted to go. We didn't want it to fail. We wanted, we, we wanted to, to enjoy each other and to, and to meet because, there was always somebody around wherever we were at saying, you're weird. You know, Why do you dress like that? Why do you wear those flower shirts? Why do you have those big bell-bottom pants, the weird color hip huggers? And how come your hair is so long? Get your hair cut. Get, do this. Shave. Brush your teeth. Take a shower. You know, everything we did was completely different than what most people, you know, what the norm was. And it was kind of nice to see that there was other people and 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 you know, if you were if you if I was a weirdo back in those days, and I only saw one other weirdo, then I would feel guilty. But when you see thousands of people, and, and, and what amazes me is when they told us that there's five hundred thousands of us there, half a million people, all sharing the same thing. It was like. You know, we were blown away. I, you know, what? And, and, you know, there was, you know, and everybody was looking out for each other. There was, the people were doing all kinds of acid, uh, meth and other stuff, but, and some of those people were getting sick, but other people would, take them to the emergency tent or, t or carry them or try to help them get 
get to a place where they could be saved or, or take care of them. You don't see that nowadays. It, 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 that's, a, that's a scary part. Uh, that's a thing that, it, that really hurts to see. I mean, um, you know, our society has come, has come to that, but we didn't, we didn't succeed either. And that's, I guess that's one thing that I, that, 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 that does bother me that we, we didn't succeed as a, as a movement to change our world. And, uh, or we care for each other, or this and that. And instead of giving somebody $19 a month, <laughs> like they want now, we took care of our, we took care of everybody, with the, and we didn't have to give them $19. We just took care of everybody, and we loved each other, and we tried to, tried to make ourselves survive, and, and to love, and to have fun. So like a real sense of like, we're all family. This is we're one. We're, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and you know, that's you know, it, you know. You just you change, you change your your life changes when you get older, you know, or you become when you start becoming part of the establishment in the world, and you and you realize that uh, when your priority changes to money or something like that, you you forget about. What you had dreamed when you when I was younger, I, I sometimes I forgot about it, and uh, now that I'm older, I realize that uh, I'm going back to the way I was before, when I was wanted to be. I, you know, loved. I wanted to be a child of love and and that and learning that taking care of people and re- your relationships are a lot more important than anything else. And, and, you know, I guess to say, do the right thing. And, uh, but I don't know, but yeah, but that was amazing. I mean, um, yeah. Did I, did I dr- smoke? Yeah. Uh, did we drink? I, we, I drank a little bit. I didn't, I never drank a lot of, a lot of alcohol because my dad showed, and really taught me a lesson with alcohol <laughs> when I was younger. But uh, <laughs> yeah, those are the for for you folks listening. I've I've heard some. Uh, I guess I guess you could call them kind of like uh, horror stories of when Grandpa would catch you guys doing something wrong. Uh, yeah. But yeah, let, let back to back to you know Woodstock itself. So, what? Uh, who would you say would probably was your your most favorite performance out of everybody you saw there? Well, my, my most famous performance was Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Uh, I was really impressed with them. Uh, and uh, you got to understand, they had never done a concert before. And the they just formed the band, what... Uh, just about five, six months before Woodstock happened. And this was their first time they did a concert. But when I heard the harmonies and the guitar parts and everything they they did on in that, that was my favorite one. Now, uh, to go to the other extreme music, the other one that I liked was uh, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, that was more funk in that. And of course... Growing up Hispanic in the town that I live, funk music was a big thing. So we listened to a lot of funk music. Uh, you know, my brother was into, you know, funk or, and blue eyes sold, and so was I for lots of times. But, but uh, you know, we listened to soul music and, and we would listen to, but we all, I also listened to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Uh, Deep Purple, um, Black Sabbath. I mean, you know, I'm, I listen, you know, it was, I, I, I listen to a lot of different types of music. Music, to me, music is music. And it's, if it's good music, it's good music. Uh, you know, there's a couple of venues. Now I don't get into opera a lot, but, and, but lately when I hear some, I actually listen to opera music, 
without looking at the stage, I, I, I find enjoyment in that too. But it takes a lot. But really, Sly and the Family Stone. And of course, Santana. And, and the reason why Santana was here was this brown Hispanic guy playing a guitar on stage. <laughs> and I thought, man, I play guitar. How come I don't play this guy? <laughs> yeah, those are definitely Santana. I mean, everybody knows Santana. And uh, if you don't, I don't know where you've been. He's been around for ages is what it feels like. And one of the, the guy doesn't even... Most of the songs that I heard from him growing up, as I was growing up, and he was still putting out music, uh, was just still some of the most phenomenal yeah. guitar yeah. playing I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. And he still plays that way. He still plays that way. I mean, he he is a. Uh, I mean, you know, um, he plays a guitar that like I I would would never never imagine. I could never play that way. I mean, I, I rehearsed a lot, and uh, I, I played guitar, and I played bass professionally for a couple of years, but it's like uh, I never felt like I could get get to his level. There's certain levels that you can get to, and this guy, he's, he's getting close. As a matter of fact, I think he is 80 years old, and he's still touring, and he still puts on a dynamic show. It, you just go, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of musicians that are a lot older and and it amazes me, you know, how old they are and they're still playing. But yeah, you, to see that, to see those acts and this and that. Now I remember The Who, they were really, really loud. I could not imagine. They must, I don't know how many amps they had up on stage, but it, they must have had four or five helicopters full of amplifiers. For these, for the who, and and uh, and uh, Keith Moon was uh, had a bucket. You know, you, you were watching him, and you could see he was playing the drums, and then he would bend over, and somebody said he'd throwing up on stage, and and that, and uh, and of course, of course, we know he died of drugs, drug overdose. But uh, you know, but that was probably what he was doing. They were doing so much speed and stuff like that just to keep themselves going on stage but uh you know there was so much music there was so much activities that we were doing and so much stuff that was that wasn't on stage i mean you know uh you know like i said Yeah, so I mean, it's it was one of those things. I mean, being at Woodstock was a completely different experience to me, and we want and it was. We were hoping when we after the first day or so, we were hoping that this wouldn't wouldn't end, and uh, you know, but then. Kind of the the dark side happened. I mean, the rain came, and it wasn't just a little sprinkle. It was a heavy rain, and I mean the winds were going, and they they had these towers like were sixty seventy feet up in the air, and they weren't they weren't anchored down to anything, you know. They were just boxes, and they put sandbags around the bottom of them, and then what they did to to when the winds were picking up really strong, they actually put trash or garbage anything to put weight down on those those four legs so that they would wouldn't wouldn't sway they were just hoping they could hold it down and they put tie ropes on and you know stake it down and try trying to hold it down but we could have gotten killed in some of that a lot of that stuff i mean that rain was terrible there was so much electrical power being generated they had to shut the generators off and uh but if lightning hit one of those generators, man, there, there's going to be a lot of people hurt and electrocuted and stuff like that. But we were we were okay, you know. We were, uh, we were sitting there, and everybody was just 
Somebody started to chant, oh, oh. <laughs> so we just started singing that. We just, you know, it just caught on, you know, waiting for the rain. You know, we were just waiting, wanted music. We wanted something to calm ourselves down. So we started chanting. Then when the rain did stop, it was such a poor, heavy pour. We had all kinds of little lakes and mud puddles all over the place. Um, and some of us haven't had, you know, didn't take a shower for a couple of days. So, hey, took off our clothes, <laughs> used the rain as a shower. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, slid, then slid in the mud. <laughs> Then go, and Yashner had a couple of ponds there. We go in the pond and clean up on that after we slide in the mud. But it, it was it was a real mess. I mean, you couldn't, after the rain, it was, took a long time for it to dry. You know, and just think it was just nothing but crushed gra grain, grass. It wasn't grass. It was just kind of like hay on top of the, all these fields, and you just kind of, and it just soaked in. But it was, it was... But they started the music again after they after they felt it was so safe, and so that's what we you know. There was a lot of stuff that went on. It was just, it's one of those things that you, you'll never. You experience and you go, I'll never forget that, you know. And it's one of those things that I. Would I do it again? And I you you say to yourself, Will I do that again? And you go, Hell yeah, I'd do it again even though there was a chance all the trouble that I got into with my dad and the stuff that I, I did, and but this, to all the people that I met, El Fatelli, I mean, you know, I don't know where he's at or if he was there, still alive, but uh, I, I, I built a friendship with that guy. For those three days, we weren't separated. I mean, he was from Philadelphia and I was from... Topeka, Kansas. You don't make friends that way. <laughs> you know, you don't you, you don't become friends that far apart. But, you know, and you know, you know, you we didn't text, we didn't have phones, we you know. <laughs> our, our phones were hanging on the wall and they had a wire hooked up to them. <laughs> so, you know, you know, and we didn't, you know, of course you might have wrote we could have wrote a couple of letters to each other, but you know, we were busy <laughs> getting on with our lives, but <clears throat> was it great? Yeah, it was a great, but it, getting there and doing that, the hardest part was when they found, when we found out after we got there, one of the hardest things that we, and that really scared me was when we went around and looked for food and went to a concession stand and a hamburger stand that was supposed to be selling hamburgers, and they said we ran out. And uh, you, we go, what? You run out, and uh, you know, and uh, are you going to get any more? And they says, we don't know. And so that's when you. That's when you start walking around and thinking, what am I going to do? A little fear comes into you. And uh, you know what? But there's people there. You know, we walked around and we said, hey, you got anything extra to eat? You have anything to eat? You have anything to drink? And people would pull out stuff. A piece of bread or... or uh, Cupcake or candy bar, or, or some people even had—I don't know where they got chicken. I don't know where there was chicken somewhere, and somebody grabbed a chicken and cooked it over an open fire. Or said it was chicken, but I—I I was too hungry not to <laughs> worry about. I just <laughs> ate it because <laughs> uh, it looked. Looked like it was cooked over an open fire, but I went ahead and ate it, and it was okay, you know. And people shared. But then the concert promoters, they, uh, they, you know, they they went out and figured out a way to make soup, 
or breakfast. They said breakfast in bed for two hundred for four four five hundred thousand people, and uh, you know they they put up set up tents. They didn't charge you anything. They just said we got to feed you guys. We can't you know you can't you know they can't have it. They weren't going to let it turn into be a you know a mass mur- murder or mass starvation thing. It was they were trying to feed everybody. Didn't want didn't want Jonestown coming around. As well. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. It was, <laughs> but you know, you, you you think about it, and I think you know you get get into it, and you, you there were so many different things. I mean, you know, sure, uh, you know, there were so many good things and so many bad things, and you know, uh, you. You fall in love with, you know, you know, like for me, I, and a couple of uh, the other guys, we we fell in love with ten or five or ten different women, and it was nothing to, you know, for them to come up and say, hey, "Do you want to have sex? Yeah, let's let's be together." And so, you 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 kind of it was, but it was acceptable. That's what we wanted to do, and so I mean, but it it, it was just so so different. What was going on the stage was important and was good, but then what was happening out on on the floor was dynamite, and uh, it's something that you never change. And uh, I don't know. Just thinking back on it, it's just like it was. It was fun. It was fun. Now, did I overindulge? Yeah, I did. There's a few times I passed out, and I don't remember six, eight hours of it, or nine hours, you know, and waking up and going, well, what happened? But never felt like anything happened to me or anything like that. I was just there, and then people said, oh, no, we, we checked on you. We made sure you were okay, and that, and of course... One thing I do remember, I did remember I losing a couple of my buddies, and I didn't see them <laughs> after we were there. After four or five hours, I didn't see them, and and uh, you know me and Johnny and a couple and Alfred, we we were still there, you know. But you know, but we were missing two guys, you know, and, but they would show up every so often. <laughs> Here they are. Where you been? Oh, over there. You know, but it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, but I felt like no matter what happened, the minute I sat down somewhere to watch music or talk or do something like that, it wasn't within almost immediately. Everybody just, you felt like you were sitting down like in in a room full of your friends because they cared about you and they wanted to know who you were and they told you who they were and what, you know, and, uh, you know, and stuff like that. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was a, an amazing time just being in that area. The music was, was good. You had to be in certain areas to actually catch the axe. So there was people walking back, you know, from up and around the stage and people walking towards the stage and uh, trying to get a good seat to listen to the certain groups. Now, the schedule was never followed. I mean, they had to schedule day one, so-and-so, so-and-so, so and day two, day... No, no, some, you know, like day three... There might have been somebody here and this and that and that, you know. The only one that who who was that closed out the show was Jimi Hendrix, and and it, that was at like at six o'clock in the morning. He was scheduled to go on at at ten thirty at night. So he that's how far back the show was running behind. That's how far back, long the show was running over. And that was on Monday morning. And it was supposed to have been over Sunday night at midnight. And that was Monday morning when he started that, the national anthem. And uh, a lot of people woke up. 
and there was a lot of people that, uh, you know, it was Monday morning, and then you wake up and you go, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And uh, uh, and thinking about it, you know, we were, I was looking and waiting, to, you know, we're just trying to get everybody back together. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're going to stop there, and we're going to get one more segment in next week. Uh, sure. About, uh, about the legacy of it, about what happened oh, in, in 99 and your way home and yeah, yeah, what yeah, yeah. That, that, home, so. yeah. That that's the most rememberable part because, uh, uh, you know, that's where all of the, a uh, lot of the stuff that I remember, uh, what's happening and what 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 happened when we got home, and this and that, and that was the thing. That was yeah. That's a different part of the story. Yeah, and we will get to that next week. Well, pops, it was a joy again. And uh, we, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, Primes isn't here, uh, but uh, I know he appreciates it as well. So uh, tune in next week, guys, and uh, we will have the uh, the finale of uh, little Teddyus Carmona making his way back home and uh, having to deal with, <laughs> deal deal with my grandfather and see how that goes. So. Uh, Pops, you want to say bye to the folks? Hey, take it easy. And uh, whatever you do, if there's somebody special in your life, give them a hug and tell them you love them because they really need it now. We'll see you later. All right, folks. Well, for Evan Money, this has been the Strange Crew Podcast, and we will see you next week. Peace.